Monsters of Socks podcast for week three. I almost said over the monster, but I didn't. Dan, how you doing? It's a beautiful day here in Boston. Socks are about to take on the twins. They'll start in the middle of our podcast. I took my son to his first baseball game this week. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good, although uh, it was a complete disaster, I guess, as far as baseball games go. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I held off we... for a while on that, on taking him. Um, he's six years old now, and he's not super into baseball yet um, because I, I'm not pushing it that much on him. I don't, I don't know what your stance is on that vis-a-vis your kids. Um, I would be thrilled, like if he gets into baseball. But it's not something like I don't, I don't need him to be an exact clone of all my likes and dislikes and interests. So I haven't been pushing baseball on him super hard, but he's interested in it because he knows I'm interested in it. And my wife has always been like, like pretty much since we, I mean, we moved back to Boston in 2018 when he was still not even two years old yet, and she was always like, "Why'd you take him to a game?" And I always said no. I always deliberately wanted to push it back for two reasons. One, I wanted him to be able to remember the game. That's and human beings don't remember anything, you know, that happens to them before the age of four. So like I was definitely I was definitely out. Like I'm not I'm not taking him to the ballpark as a baby. Um, but then the other thing was I wanted it to be somewhat meaningful for him. Like I wanted him to know who the Red Sox were. I wanted him to care a little bit about the Red Sox before I took him. Um, so that it would be just so that he would appreciate the significance of it and everything. And he sort of cares a little bit now. I probably could have waited a little bit more on that, but I finally figured it was school vacation week. We're trying to find ways to occupy his time. And I figure Patriots day, day game. He's also, he also, he also, he, he's, he's a pretty hyperactive kid. And we have certain times of the day that are worse than others. <laughs> And the late afternoon tends to be bad. So I thought the 11 o'clock game, that's like perfect. That's that's sort of right in his calm period. And then Shohei Otani is pitching. And, I'm said, and I said to myself, like, what better story to have for your first game? Like, do you remember your first game? Is there like a story to it? Do you remember anything about it specifically? Because I'll tell you, because the one thing I remember about mine, and I, I was probably – five or six two and and my dad took me and my sister to the bleachers and i don't really remember the game i sort of have some images of it in my head but the one thing i do remember for sure is that roger clemens pitch and there was like i i I do remember the moment that he went out to the bullpen to warm up before the game and and the sort of like the palpable energy in the crowd so like that was always cool so i wanted so i thought like him going to see shohei would be a great memory for him to have the rest of of his life about his first game. And how'd that work out? We made it two and a half innings. <laughs> speaking of, Such a speaking disaster. of, in honor of Patriots Day, later, we or I will have a chat with my brother who ran the marathon for the first time and we will ask questions that we always wanted to was know Was this about his first maritime, or was, was this his first <laughs> marathon ever? Yeah, being from the vineyard, he I'm has just, much maritime experience, but yeah, this was his first marathon yeah, ever. I won't spoil his time, but it was obnoxiously fast. And I'm going to <laughs> quiz him as to why he ran so fast. What What's the furthest distance you have ever run in your life? I think it was... It's all around... 
eight to 10 miles, but I think it was I have a friend of mine, very, very good friend, as this story will indicate, was having Thanksgiving at his family house in Forest Hills, Queens, which is to the people who don't I know. I love Forest Hills, by the way. Yeah, so he it's it's in Queens, it's close-ish to City Field, and I lived in downtown Brooklyn. And I was feeling really good about myself running-wise, and uh, I remember, the, I could probably pinpoint the year, probably 2006, and it was after that, it was way after that, actually, and my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy had just come out, and I hadn't listened to it yet. And there was one other album that just came out. I also hadn't listened to it. And I was like, I'm just going to run to his house. And that's a long run. And I got lost a couple times in like the Brooklyn yeah. Queens borderlands. I was going to say, you're, yeah, you're running through some like industrial waste areas. I love that though. I always loved that about living in Queens was I love being in like ruins because it's cool, it's real, and you don't want to stop. So it always propels me point. to just keep going. You don't want to accidentally lost. stumble upon like a, a body that the mobs just dumped. And I now, got and caught, now you're on their list. I got caught where the Long Island Railroad tracks were cutting through Queens, and I you couldn't cross them. You had to go a long way around, and I... I probably ran an extra mile and a half just trying to do that and that that's the longest i've ever run and that was a long time ago but what was yeah. not a long time ago was chris sale returning to form and dan i understand you have some questions for me about this yeah I think you're it's still time my to thunder. pull out the bryometer the bryometer the bryometer is back um, I still, so I was wondering today is, is the Brian barometer better than the barometer? I'm just really not happy with the barometer. I'm not happy with the Brian barometer either, but that, that at least makes it more clear what I'm trying to say. Just why don't just, how angry is Brian? I think that's, now, oh, God damn it. Yes, that is it. Thank you. I've been asking you this for three pods in a row now. We finally got it. Okay. I'll, but wait. But what I'm so positive? angry that you didn't come up with it sooner. <laughs> Seven out of ten. <laughs> so what is the anger scale? Um, I mean, oh, we could just do like a wow. boring one to ten. But are there like actual, like what are the stages of your anger that we can incorporate into the scale? Are you like someone that, but you're not a wall puncher. You don't look like a wall puncher, are you? That's not Chris any, when I was a, when I was a teenager, sure, like angsty yeah. teenager. Now, no, uh, I remember the most. Oh shit! There's a turkey in my front yard. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. But there is a turkey in my front yard. Is it Corey? Just walking around. Sorry, sorry, oh, yes. sorry, yes. sorry. I like Corey. Uh, sorry. Yeah. This have, it's actually my neighbor's yard. I should clarify. I'm looking out my window into my neighbor's yard. It's just uh, pecking at the grass. I was worried about this. They've been coming closer and closer to my neighborhood. And I thought this summer I'd finally see them. And yep, there we go. There's my first one. So 
I don't know if you know this, there are wild turkeys on Martha's Vineyard. And there was one so notoriously belligerent that uh, This American Life did a segment on it. Really? But that's not... But that's not the story I'm telling. The story I'm telling is there was another one that you'd see across the island that somebody had hit it with an arrow, but it did not die. And for years, you would see the turkey walking around with the arrow in it. Wow. You would just see it because there weren't that many turkeys on Martha's Vineyard. So they were in the same flocks and you would see it crossing the road. You're like, oh, there's the arrow guy or girl. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, there's uh, I have things here, that I can, I, I, right, things I can associate with with my anger, but some of them are too raw. So let's do one to ten. I'll think about it okay. as we go okay. forward. And maybe it'll come organically. Um, but anyway, but the first one is not an angry one. The first one is a happy one. Um, so I guess if we... So I guess if we're just going to use the anger scale one to ten, then things that you're happy about, I guess we would use negative numbers for so how angry are you that Chris Sale is back? Uh, negative 420. For, Woo! For today. Thank you, Elon Musk, for that, for that time. <laughs> Thank you for day. ruining it. Well, also Hitler, it's his birthday, but that's not important. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, the, that game was the game all of us have been waiting for and especially those of us like me i'm not making myself up to be an iconoclast here who said look this is a longer term project and specifically the the uh, velocity bump from start one to start two carried into the third start and that was chris sale uh that was chris sale that was Chris Sale. I mean, I do think we need to mention six innings. He walked two guys and he hit two guys, which isn't great. Um, he got away with How it. How many strikeouts? And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying he wasn't better. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, 11 I mean, strikeouts. That was for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't right. care. All right, Just let me ask you a homers. question. Because we had. Just don't give up homers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't leave those. Those. That, I mean, that's the problem. And we talked about this before. Like he, his entire career, he was always just a stuff pitcher. He was a thrower. He never thought on the mound. Um, and I, so I want to push back was, about. It. I want. I mean, you say he never thought on the mound, and I know that you use as a piece of evidence that he never shook off the catcher. I don't <clears throat> presume to think that that means he didn't think on the mound. That seems to me someone more in the line of wearing a school uniform and that it's just one less thing you think about. Not that. Yeah, you suppose. yeah exactly. Yes, he thinks throwing... less. It's one less thing that he doesn't think out there. It's one less thing you think about. I don't think thinking on the mound is necessarily a, is something to be, to, to strive for. But I think that you are right in the sense that, this is the case where it would be, but I don't, I don't think he was such an automaton before. I think if you would set that, set him down, talked about pitching, he would have quite a bit to say and whatever it was, it was beautiful to see on display again. And I mean, look, 
if he walks and hits more guys than he did before, but can keep the ball in the yard. Negative 420. Negative 420. All right. There were two pitchers who were back this week. So let me ask you, let me put you on the spot here. Who's going to have the better season for the 2023 Boston Red Sox? Chris Sale, who you are at negative 420 anger level, or Garrett Whitlock, who was also outstanding this week? Garrett Whitlock. You think he's going to have better? Just because you think Sale's going to get hurt again? I mean, Garrett Whitlock is no picture of health. No, I think that the home run issue will crop up from time to time with Sale, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think that and is I think true. I mean it, I mean look, Whitlock gave up five homers in his first start, so uh fair is fair. I just think that Chris Hale will get injured at some point. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I mean, I think Garrett Whitlock will get injured at some point too. At, the, at this That's point, fair. Garrett Whitlock, Garrett Whitlock hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy ever in his career. Chris Sale did for 90% of his career. It's only been the last three years that he's been such a fragile wreck. Um, so, well, you know, it doesn't that comprise the entirety of Garrett Whitlock's career. So they're even. Yeah. Yeah. It well, yeah. I mean, he had Tommy John before he even made it into the major league, which I guess is maybe uh, one point in favor of the argument that he's, he's, you know, he's already had it once. He's got the hard, he's got the hard one out of the way. So, I mean, there have been a couple instances of double Tommy John pitchers, of course, Nate Evaldi being being the one that we know most about. But that knock on wood probably won't happen with Whitlock again, right? I think it's amazing that five years after the 2018 season, you were to say, hey, you know that guy Garrett Whitlock in the Yankees organization? We're going to be having a debate in five years of whether him or Chris Sale <laughs> is going to be the best pitcher on the Red Sox. Yeah. But that's that's baseball, Susan. Yeah, and it's not necessarily. I mean, that's the, if if you had said that to twenty, if you had said that to twenty eighteen Brian, or if I had said that to twenty eighteen Brian, would your first thought be like, "Holy shit, Garrett Whitlock's going to be really good," or would your first thought be, "Holy shit, Chris Sale is"? Literally not going to pitch at all for the next three years. Definitely the first one. Because I, I mean, yeah. I think that my position on sale has been very clear that I think he's one of the, he's, he is naturally talented to a degree that puts him in like the super, super, super elite to have ever played the game. And especially then, and I still believe it now, my belief is that Ben he'll be better. He'll be good as long as he can throw. So we'll see it. You know, time comes for us all as Madison Bumgarner getting DFA'd today or announced he's getting mm-hmm. DFA'd today, but there's a world of difference between Bumgarner and sale. Even if at their peaks there, there was perhaps not. Yeah, no, there even was Bum- Bumgarner. I, I mean, he look, he was a, a World Series and postseason hero, and he built a lot of his reputation on that. But he was really very rarely at like a top twenty pitcher. He was always in. He he lived in like the fifteen to twenty five range. He was never he was never in sales category. You know, if you. I was his- thinking about this today, and I want to ask you. <clears throat> 
was he in the World Series against the Royals? Mm-hmm. Was that the single best World Series performance by anybody and the most impactful? Because it seems hyper hyperbolic, but I'm not sure it is. Well, I think I think we probably have to be a little more discerning when we say World Series, because you can go back to you know the 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 pre nineteen seventies era of baseball and find World Series where like Sandy Koufax made three starts, right? You know, and went and went like eight or nine innings in each one of them. Um, and that certainly was the case back in the early part of the 20th century. Um, you know, I mean, I think Babe Ruth did that for the Red Sox once, like started three games in the World Series. Uh, so it's, you, you kind of have to separate those eras probably. But beyond that, I, you know, I certainly think in terms of our lifetimes, I just, I remember not being able to believe that that was even happening when it was happening during that world series. Like that, the fact that he was, and, and how many innings did he end up throwing out of the bullpen in game seven? It was like six innings too, right? So uh, you want to hear something funny? I'm on baseball reference and I'm pulling up the all time single season world series pitching leaders. And in pretty much every case they have, and now in every single case, they, they have the top person listed and then like a drop down to get everybody else in the World Series. And in many cases, all of these are tied. Like and in many cases, tied when it's like right. wins, ERA uh, for, for a season. But for so earn run average for a career though. Number one, Madison Bumgarner, 0.25 in 36 innings pitched. Wow. Whip, number one, Madison Gartner, Bumgarner, (laughs) 528. Uh, And this is career numbers. Whip and hits per nine innings. He, he's the best Uh, championship WPA for career. Number one. Uh, Let me see how he's like a full, 11 uh, WPA ahead of Raleigh fingers in a few more innings. It's uh, I will say this about him. Let me just wrap it up with him vis-a-vis sale. I do remember early in Bumgarner's career, people said he throws so many sliders that his arm is going to give out early. And I think he actually lasted longer than they expected, but this is not. I mean, he's such a horse. Um, on this, on these lists that you're looking at, I am surprised. I am surprised that he's number one on all these lists. I, I guess I did underestimate exactly how good he was in the World Series. Um, I'm assuming when you first asked me this question, I mean, I already mentioned Sandy Koufax was the first name that came to my mind. Bob Gibson was the second. Are they on those lists as well? And how far down are they? Uh, let's see. Sen and ERA, I know it's not, you know, uh, Sandy Koufax is seventh. Bob Gibson is not on it. Um, really? In Interesting. Championship WPA added. Bob Gibson, again, not on it. Sandy Koufax, again, seventh. And most of these people, 
if you if you're going down to WPA for career, uh, oh, by the learner- way, can I can I just interrupt you real quick? Yeah. So Bob Gibson not being on it, I'm like, oh wow, that's shocking. I wonder if he was a little disappointing. Do I know what Bob Gibson's career World Series record was? What? Nine starts, seven and two, with an ERA of one point eight nine and ninety two strikeouts. He has the the record for strikeouts uh, with. 20 with 35 in 1968. He's also second with 31 in uh, 1964. He's also fifth with 26 in 1967. So he was good. Jesus. Uh, I'm talking about championship WPA, which I'm guessing just means the world series. Madison Bumgarner and Raleigh fingers are compared to innings pitch so far ahead of the field that it's like, not, it's not close. Uh, mm. So Anyhow, that's enough about Madison Bumgarner, probably the high and bloom scrappy pickup. But we'll, well cross that bridge when we come to it. We'll cross that bridge right now because topic number two in the barometer is how angry are you about Corey Kluber? I'm still not. Uh, I, I would say just 4.20 uh, to keep in with the theme that he. Corey Kluber is a pitcher to me that you're signing up to be pitching six innings in August in a game nobody's watching. And those games will add up compared to three starts in April when he's old. I'm not surprised that it's coming along slowly, but I I think he's just here to eat innings and, uh, All right. Well, I mean, maybe that's the case, but like Corey Kluber was the only starting pitcher they got. They added this offseason and then started opening day for them. Like, I agree with you that at this point in his career, he should be just a guy who's there to eat innings. But, you know, like, it's just. This sort I mean, of he wouldn't I, even I, start a, a playoff a game in a playoff series if like I know it's it's April 20th, but I don't think him starting opening day was an indication of anything other than Chrisell wasn't ready and like he plainly wasn't. And yeah, there is an opening day seniority thing that exists in in real life and that yeah that's fair enough the opening day thing is dumb whatever but i do think like we have to ask the question like how how was cory kluber the only starter this team added in the offseason you know and remember and i and i I went back and looked this up because red sox stats got ornery on twitter last night i wouldn't know He's so he's blocked from the over the monster account too, which really bothers because obviously that that happens that happened a long time before I got here. And so I have to switch to my personal account when I want to see what stats has to say about the game, and it's so annoying, dude. Stats, if you're listening, just I I don't know what happened in the past between you and over the monster, but you know, hey, water under the bridge, man. We it's 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 practically a whole new staff here. Unblock us, come on, dude. Uh, there's no point because you will run afoul of him very quickly. Anyway, he is a prolific blocker. I 
have nothing against the guy. I made a light joke once about a junk stat he was using. And that was it. That was the end of that. Same thing happened. And look, man has, I assume it's a man has, has, has done well for himself. Elon Musk's Twitter was made for guys like him. Good for you. But I didn't see it. Uh, I do realize that there's good information I'm missing. That's his choice, not mine. Yeah. We should clarify that when you say he's done well for himself, that phrase usually implies some sort of financial remuneration. (laughs) And I just want to clarify that, you know, he hasn't, Twitter doesn't make you any money at all. And I always, this is something that always pops into my head whenever I, we've talked about Red Sox Twitter before. And, you know, I, without naming, without naming handles, I, you see all these people out there who are like hustling so hard to tweet so much about the Red Sox. And I'm always just looking at these guys and thinking like, you know, you're never going to get anything out of this, right? Like, I think that stats is the type of person who actually could, if they so chose. Oh, he's deliberately choosing not to. No one even knows right. who he is. Yeah, no, you're right. right. You're absolutely right in his case. I mean, he, he's deli- he is obviously deliberately. Oh, he's leaving it on the table intentionally. Yeah. And that's like, yeah. that's why I say, like, that's. Yeah. If you're out choice, there, yeah, this what I just said. If you're out there with a pseudonym and no one even knows who you actually are, then what I just said doesn't apply to you because you're obviously, you're just out there having fun. Um, but it's the other, like, it's the other Red Sox Twitter personalities who are trying to become known personally as sort of Red Sox Twitter people. Oh, I mean, he's still obnoxious as fuck. Don't get it wrong. Like he's in that category, but he's just done very well at it. That's fine. Different strokes. Um, Anyhow, what were you saying? So, so he got ornery and and he had a tweet about Corey Clibbert and he, and he sort of uh, paraphrased some, some remarks that we heard or, or heard from sources about the Red Sox front office plans this offseason. Um, starting with the fact that, and, and I, I did a couple of his paraphrases, I was Googling and trying to find the source for them because I didn't want to just, just bring them up without, without knowing exactly where they came from. And I couldn't find a couple of them. I couldn't find, you know, he had, he had one quote that, that said something like, we want to find a pitcher who can pitch in the, in the playoffs. I have not seen where that came from. Um, but I did find the first one that he talked about was how back in December, we initially heard that the Red Sox were looking for quote unquote, multiple number twos. And I did find where that source came from. It was a Chad Jennings article at the start of the winter meetings. And, you know, it look in, in, in giving the benefit of the doubt to Bloom and the Red Sox front office, that wasn't a quote that came from any of them. What Chad Jennings actually wrote was multiple sources have said the Red Sox are not going after a bunch of number fours and fives this offseason. They want a couple of number twos, give or take, who push their existing starters into more appropriate roles. Chris well, they got a number three, two with Kluber. Thanks, <laughs> well, so, yo, yikes. I see what you did there. Nicely done. Um, so anyway, so that's the original source. Multiple sources, like who knows what that actually means. That could have been agents. That could have been executives on another team. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> it's... Had the Red Sox gone into the offseason and been like, we're going to look for a, we're, we're going to look for a, a vet on a cheap deal who might work out or might not, everyone would have pilloried them for that. 
They didn't say that, but that's what they did. <laughs> that's all they did. That's all they did was add Corey Kluber. And I think it kind of it goes back to my suspicion about Bloom and my thing about how when, when people talk about what's Bloom's plan, like I don't think he has a plan. I think he has a strategy, right? His strategy is just get value wherever he can. And so I think there's a problem when you go into an offseason and you have a clear problem area like the 2022 Red Sox did being the starting rotation. And sure, you had Whitlock and Bayo moving into the rotation this year and plenty of reason to believe that those two would be effective starters. So that's an improvement, but you can't rely on, on a, on a rookie. I mean, I guess he's not technically a rookie, but he's effectively a rookie in bail and a guy who's never pitched a full season before to turn around your staff. You have to be more targeted in who you approach like that. But Bloom, I don't think went into the off season saying I need to improve the pitching staff again, because if he had done that, he would have been more aggressive in going after some more, you don't even have to be elite, but they could have done better than Corey Kluber. But he doesn't go into it, I don't think, with a plan like that. He just he approaches everything and how can I get value here? And that's how we end up with Adam Duvall in center field, who's never played center field before. That's how we end up with Corey Kluber being the only offseason addition in the starting rotation. And now here we are, it's April, and Kluber might only have one more start the rest of the season. He might be the next VDFA right after Madison Bumgarner. I disagree on pretty much every level. And you keep Adam Duvall's <laughs> name out of your mouth. Hey, look, he was outstanding. He was outstanding, but that wasn't going to last. And he was probably we'll not never know be now. a very good center we'll know. Hey, he got MVP injured in season derailed. Well, I think that he has a plan and a strategy. And I think that, as you have said before correctly, I think that uh, – they say one thing and do another. And I think that there is, I, as I've said many times, I think June sort of admitted it on this podcast that he was like, yeah, of course it was a five-year plan. I wonder if they didn't just say that to June and June forgot that he wasn't supposed to say that because it's so clearly a five-year plan. And this is so clearly year four that I think there is a plan. And within that plan, there's strategy. And the strategy would be, get up to X number of pitchers at a value. So next off season will be key in this. And I'm sure there are some people like the more delirious elements of Red Sox Twitter who actually believe that Shohei Otani is that pitcher. And this is all <laughs> working toward them getting Otani, yeah. which I mean, please do, but I don't think that's it. I do think that they view this year as somewhat disposable. That's why I don't think Kluber's going to be DFA'd because as long as he can go out there and make starts, I think they're cool with it. I really do. And look, look how quickly we flipped with Sale. Now, it's a different thing because Kluber's been on a steady you know, decline. But I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna keep going out there. But look, when I heard Hanley was being DFA'd, I thought it was a joke, and I was wrong. So, yeah, yeah. 
It's not just a steady decline with Kluber, though, that makes him different than Sale. Like, as you said, we saw, I mean, Sale was racking up the strikeouts, even in his bad early season starts. Like, the stuff was intermittently there, even if it wasn't necessarily 97, 98, like it used to be. Kluber's not breaking 90. <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's not, it's not just that he's been in steady decline. Like, he's in steady decline, and the stuff is gone. And he's also, and he, he's another, he's made his career as a control guy, and he's walking people too. And I don't know why people are sort of surprised about that. I, you know, I've, I've I've read some people say like, well, look, Clark, Corey Kluber's never, never had control issues. So the fact that he's showing that he has control issues now indicates that he will probably regress back to the mean and and shore that up. Um, you know, look, you're, as you age, you're gonna struggle with commanding the baseball just as you are going to struggle pumping it up to 95. Like they're both, they're both athletic skills. Throwing 95 is an athletic skill. Keeping it in the strike zone is an athletic skill. There's no reason why both of those wouldn't erode at the age. So I don't know. I'm not confident in Kluber. I mean, I he he does 164 innings last year and that's not, that's what they're signing up for in my opinion. And I don't think they will all be this bad, but they've been bad. They've been very, very bad. Yeah. No, well, it'd be interesting to see. It. So I don't know. I, I, uh, I didn't realize. So the game started 10 minutes ago. Um, so I could maybe pull up the box score and not speculate. I wonder if Hauk comes out and pitches really well today. I mean, they're going to have decisions to make eventually. Right. Now that Bayo's back, Paxton, maybe not so back. <laughs> After he got shelled at Pawtucket the other night, but Bayo's back. Crawford just pitched the best, one of the best start of the year, even though it came out of the moment. Um, they got decisions to make, and if Hauk pitches really well, how do you justify keeping Kluber in the rotation over Hauk and Crawford? Same way you justify Bobby Dahlbeck at short. Uh, we got to do it. <laughs> I I think you are wrong about Paxton getting shelled mattering, especially in light of. Jaron Duran coming up in an 0 for 15 slump. I feel like yeah. they think it's time to bring him in. He'll come in. And, yeah, no, I think that's true too. But when you say Paxton is back, I think that's a misnomer because he's never been here. So that's not, yes, right. can't really come back to it. You're when right. Paxton though, is back. Got, that's when he's back on the IL. That's when you say Paxton's back. I think it, there is a fair argument to make when they said they're looking for a bunch of number twos. I don't think James Paxton is a number two. He has been a number two, but I don't think he is now. Yeah, that yeah. they could have just used a like, oh, we have roll, we have a rollover number two. We didn't use it last year, so we get it to we get to add it to this year's tally. So there's your two number twos. Now they're number they're poo. So it's you know, <laughs> I mean maybe, maybe Paxton's not. All right, well, let's go back to something positive, but stick with old people who still may or may not have to retire uh, at some point this season. We're talking How... about me? <laughs> oh, no, come on. You're young for this game. Um, how negative angry are you that your boy, Justin Turner, in the last 10 games is hitting 306, 375, 472 with a home run and three doubles? Oh, I'm at like an eight. I'm very excited about this. This is what I negative expected. Eight. Negative eight. Yeah, we got to work on you're, this. Because you're not, because you're not angered. angered the absolute value. Moments. Maybe I'll just give the absolute values, and people have to judge whether it's negative or positive. 
So yeah, definitely a negative eight. He's uh, there's a reason I traded for him in my main dynasty league. There's a reason. Albeit, why. albeit, I did, I did cash out Matt Chapman to do it. Matt Chapman will look better, but I got other yeah. stuff, obviously. Well, I was also going to say there's 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 a reason why there's an unfinished draft uh in in the over the monster cms i believe that i think was started on opening day um that hmm, i wonder why it was pushed back i think what was the title justin turner is going to do the thing this year that's not i mean i i wish i had published i didn't i didn't not publish it yeah. well if you had published I, it it would have been followed it. by like two two and a half weeks of just pure suck from justin turner <laughs> I have said the, the time whole time it. it wasn't pure suck. If it was pure suck, no, no, no. The, you're just you're just getting too worked up over early season stuff. Though I, I will right. amend it the Kluber discussion on my end to say, given the the potential logjam, uh, that is much a much bigger issue than I would have thought, uh, based on how far we've gone. So. Yeah, we have the very excited with the Justin the right now. Yes, I'm very excited with the Justin Turner developments. Him and Verdugo, the Gingers are they're 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 doing well. And so I yeah. I, I just need to say a little bit here though. I, I told you, uh, I'm happy. Alex Verdugo is doing well. Very happy. Mm-hmm. I do not think. Alex Verdugo's performance four seasons after the trade really has anything to do with the trade of, of Mookie Betts. I, I think it's it's good. And yes, it's what we want. But I don't think that there's a reason. The reason I say this is there are people online who I'm not going to call out, but also, you know, like easily identifiable. Good heavens! Verdugo, obviously nice start. Causing hysterics, not exactly ideal. Delirious, extremely reactionary to reframe Verdugo's mild success two weeks this year into a referendum on the Mookie trade being good. Yeah. That's all I got to say. I'm, I'm pretty sure I do know who you're talking about. I'm pretty sure I muted this person within the last 24 hours. Um, no, you you are absolutely right. I mean, it's getting the, the, the we, we've discussed this to death. It is getting insufferable. Um, uh, one more thing on Alex Verdugo, the, just real quick. Uh, it's currently one nothing Red Sox because Alex Verdugo hit a leadoff home run. I take it back. The trade was great. <laughs> One nothing Red Sox. Alex, Alex, we're going to go with a leadoff home run. And Tanner Houck in the first. Oh, Tanner Houck struck out the side in the top of the first. Boom. Uber, you're gone. Man. You know, he knows it. He's sensing it. He's sensing like, this is his jets are, right here. Wait, are we live? Or they're listening. That could be it, too. Well, I, assume, I mean, yeah, we might be live. Um, if we're not, I assume that. Like, you know, if, if the when the Red Sox are in the dugout, all they can hear are people sitting around them talking about the Monsters of Sox podcast, I'm sure. So there's you know, they they, they even if they're not listening live, they, they know they know what we've said about them. They're hearing it constantly. I will I in fairness 
to the tweeter in question. Not only are you and I like the intended general audience, we may be the intended specific audience, so I don't have any qualms about like literally quite, you quite possible. So, yeah. so that's fine. It's fine. Yeah. We all love the Red Sox, don't we, folks? We do. We do. Um, all right, last one. This is this is a repeat of a previous parameter question for you. Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe it was on last week's episode, but I think it was two weeks ago. I asked you how worried you were about the fact that in out of 23 balls in play that Masataka Yoshida has put in this season, 17 of them were ground balls. Update, that number is now 43 balls in play, an additional 20 balls in play, 29 ground balls. So 12 of the 20 balls in play since we last discussed still on the ground. He is only at four line drives this season. Is it time to worry slash get angry about Masataka Yoshida? You know, the I should have published the Justin Turner piece and not published my I'm being Yoshida-pilled piece. <laughs> As I said, I've yeah. seen this from players who come over from Japan before, especially in the early going. Just a, I'm thinking specifically of Hideki Matsui, so let's not say players, let's say player who started his career prodigiously grounding out to second. The bad part about it for the Red Sox is that I think accounting for the differences in air, whatnot, Matsui was more of a power hitter ultimately than we expect Yoshida to be. So mm -hmm. he, what he did learn to hit it out of the stadium, which made him valuable. This is not ideal, but I, I will look they, he specifically, and this is what makes what Otani is doing so incredible. It's, he has, just going this week's Otani tangent, sponsored by whatever you want it to be sponsored by. <laughs> what he's doing this year is so incredible, especially given the WBC. I know that we say, oh, it helped some people get ready, but it, it certainly didn't for others. And I think it, Definitely messed with Yoshida's development to major league specific pitching. And I think he would make that trade a hundred times out of a hundred. Cause I mean, he did you know, that. The home run he hit against Mexico was off a big league pitcher. It's, you know, it's not like he was facing a bunch of nobodies from, from, you know, the team Australia the entire time. Well, team Australia catching strays. Yeah. I, I, Sorry, sorry. You call yourself the Hitteroos. You're going to catch some strays. You need a better nickname than that. That ain't going to cut it. It's definitely not what you want, but I think that Verdugo specifically, in a good way, has, has helped prop prop up the outfield production. And, <clears throat> and very small sample, Jaron Duran. Did not die, Doc. I will give you credit for that. You did, you did write an article. A very optimistic article about Jaron Duran, and then he went out and played an incredibly key role in their win the other night. You, that was, I actually, I tried to, I tried to tweet out after he, after he uh, got that hit in, in the ninth or the tenth, I don't remember. Um, I tried to tweet out and give you credit, and and Twitter was just like, no, we're not sending this tweet, which is a thing that's happening increasingly on Twitter these days. Um, 
which, you know, hey, at least Twitter didn't uh, blow up 15 seconds after I, I loaded say, it the this tweet, morning. <laughs> the tweet probably got right up to the point it was going to get published and then uh, unintentional <laughs> disassembly happened. Yeah, yeah. I tried it multiple times and it just didn't. I don't know. This is a new thing in the algorithm. Like, if you say nice things about Brian Joyner, it does not get published. I think, uh, look, our, OT, our OTM Slack blew up with dread when Duran was being called up because of his streak at the plate. But I, I hadn't realized that his, his on-base percentage was extremely good. It was like in the 350s and his batting average was in the 190s. And that spread is... Mm. If you could carry any of the underlying skills of that spread to today's Major League Baseball, if he can walk, bunt, and get on base as fast as he is, anything else is a – yeah, and it's it's still so touch and go. But I, as I wrote in my piece about him, I'm taking a child-sized victory lap. Yeah, plenty of time for him to fuck it up. And I still, I still worry about – him in the outfield. Uh, he's a, he's just an absolutely horrendous center fielder. It just and so it, I don't really know. The vibes are awful. The vibes yeah, are awful. I, I mean, you, they can't they can't run with an everyday outfield of Yoshida, Duran, and Verdugo, can they? I mean, they just. I think Verdugo. I mean, I, I, mean, I think uh, Duran has got to be a platoon player. They just made it very yeah. funny that. The apparently the official reason, and we talked about Dahlbeck and Short a lot last week, that they didn't bring up Duran immediately as they're facing a bunch of lefties. So Duran finally came up when the string of lefties was over, but he went to your game on Patriots Day where he didn't bat until I never three saw plus him. hour. You never saw him hit I never every time saw he was out of the game, and his first three at bats were against lefties. So yeah, it was, I was in the ballpark for. Four, three and a half hours that day, and I didn't see him hit. Um, yeah, you're right. They did, but he got it, but he succeeded against lefties. I will say, I mean, I think I, we mentioned this on one off season pod. I don't remember, I think it was maybe some off season headlines we wanted to see. Jaron Duran again, natural infielder, infielder his entire college career. <laughs> Like, if, like, I don't understand why there hasn't been even whispers about trying to move him back. I mean, he, he's he's awful in the outfield, which is a, a spot on the diamond that the Red Sox are already bad at. Um, if he could break out that infielder's glove and, and play a passable infield, I mean, right now that's where the holes are. Kike has, has been awful defensively at shortstop. Christian Arroyo is fine with the glove, but he's been awful with the bat. You know, we're now looking at we're now looking at Chang and Valdez possibly getting some some run here. Um, and we know Valdez. We, I mean, Val, the scouting report of Valdez was that he was awful with the glove, and boy did boy did he show that last night. Um, I just I don't I don't know why there haven't been at least whispers about Duran breaking up the infield club again. <laughs> to bring to bring it full, full circle sure you saw the uh, reports that our boy Mookie might be sitting oh, up yeah. soon. Oh my God. I hope that happens. I hope that happens. So much. except that I don't hope it happens because of how awful that night will be on Twitter. <laughs> It'll be so awful. Uh, good for Mookie if he does. No. Yeah. Now, I'm now just, he I'm never even played shortstop. It's, 
it's crazy. And if he does it well, it's just obnoxious how good he is at so many things. Yeah, it really, really is. And, and bowling, too. And, and having children. Apparently, he's really good at having children. That's why he missed uh, a couple of games last week. Congratulations to Loki. I, that is one thing I had no doubt that he would be very good at. <laughs> you never know. Uh, that's all I got for the barometer. The only, those are the only things on the there. Anything, anything else you're angry about that I missed? Well, that you didn't remember that it's not called the Briometer anymore. Oh, right. Sorry. What, what is it? How angry is Brian this week? Yes. That's what it is. Okay. Did I miss no, anything I, you're angry about? No. I, 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 I said to you before we started, I, the Reds actually either won over or 500 since we last spoke, but I, I feel much better about the team this week than I did last week. I think largely sale and Whitlock related because that is, that is where their bread is going to be buttered going forward. And yeah, I've, I've seen, you know, there was an article called that came out in the athletic last weekend saying the biggest disappointments of the season, the Red Sox were number one and it was so, it wasn't dishonest because it was conceived in honesty, but it was, clearly relating specifically back only to the Rays sweep when that was so clearly this outlier event and to the point that by the time that article was published, the Red Sox had won two in a row again and we're back at 500. So I think there's just so much. I just don't. So I didn't see that article. It was, they were framed as a disappointment because that's the part that confuses me because I can't like, Nobody picked them to make the postseason. Uh, I think Fangraphs projected them at like 83 wins, right? Um, and that's exactly what they look like right now. Like you said, they're a 500 team. So I don't understand how they're a disappointment in that context. It's flabbergasted. I mean, unless, it, like, I mean, it's, it's, I, like, I'm disappointed that this is where the team is right now, but, but it's, it's what very I much coming into where this it is. season. There's no if hands, or buts about it. Anyhow, yeah. that's all I got. You got any recommendations for this week? I do have a recommendation. Um, it's a very neat recommendation, um, but I have no to get it out thing. there. Now that... There's no such thing. Fair enough. So, well, this is a recommendation specifically for owners and operators of ice cream stores and no one else. If you're not an owner and operator so it's of an unique. ice cream store. So it's unique. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to listen. Not very I don't know unique. how many. <laughs> well, that, well, yeah. You know, yeah. We don't know how many people we're talking to right now. Um, we can guess. We can probably. Look, based on the fact. Here's what we know. We know that our podcast is the number one baseball podcast in Sri Lanka, the Netherlands, Australia, and Switzerland. Not Red Sox, baseball. So I think, I'm not a statistician, but I think you can sort of take that fact and extrapolate that if we're the number one baseball podcast in Sri Lanka, then the number of listeners we have who own and operate ice cream stores is probably somewhere 30 to 40,000. Would you say that's fair? We can ask, you know, if we ever get your friend Nate on, 
Well, I, we'll ask him to, 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 as a statistician, as a famed statistician, extrapolate. Just just knowing that we're number one in Sri Lanka, how many people listen to us that run an ice cream store? Where on earth that. are you going with this? Okay, so anyway, what are we doing? Right, okay, recommendations. Okay, last week was the we had the first really hot day in Boston. It got up to like, it got up to ninety, um, and I picked up my older kid from kindergarten and said, "It's the first hot day of the year. We're going to get some ice cream." Um, and you know, I haven't been to an ice cream store in several months, obviously, because it's been it's winter. So I forgot how annoyed I am about this one specific thing that every ice cream store in the world apparently does. So my recommendation is ice cream stores, please, for the love of God, let me pay before you hand me multiple giant dripping cones of ice cream. I don't like, this is the most annoying thing to me. And every ice cream store does it. You go there, they're all laid up the same way. You order, they scoop out the ice cream in front of you. They give it to you. Now my hands are full with ice cream and then I have to go somehow get my wallet out and get my credit card out and stick my credit card into a little thing and pay. It's like, it's, it's impossible to do. And yet every store makes me do it. And I just hate it. And it's like, it's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm going to drop something. It's hot as hell in there because paradoxically ice cream stores are also like the hottest places in the world because they have to spend so much on air conditioning to keep their ice cream cold that the store itself becomes like unbearably hot. So it's like everything about the experience almost ruins the ice cream itself, which, which I, I mean, eating an ice cream cone in the summertime should be, should be one of the most relaxing, successful, enjoyable things in the world. And it's just, it's not because I don't know how to pay for ice cream when I'm holding two big giant dripping ice cream cones in my hand. I don't know how to do it. Do you have any suggestions well, as to how to do it? Well, the, my, my only comeback was that it's not supposed to be exciting for you. And Why not? I, you know, that's not, I, see, I think that's a bad line of reasoning. You should always be excited by ice cream. There's no age limit on ice cream. Well, apparently there is because you are looking past the ice cream to say all this stuff made it bad, but it's still ice cream. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. You're right. It's, it's, it's my fault. I have a bad... I have, I have I have negative thoughts in my head that I need to conquer before the next time I get an ice cream cone. I'm going to recommend in the spirit of the day, running while high. It's really great. <laughs> I've never really. done that. Oh, man. Mostly because I hate running. Well, I've only started again. It's sort of inspired by my brother and... Uh, I also I was going to recommend running on bridges because my favorite place to run by far and away is the Mario Cuomo Bridge, which used it's not the Tappan Zee Bridge. It's it was built right next to the bridge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of New York really, infrastructure talk today. That's that's what the people love. People love wait, to know bridges in New York. Uh, what the landscape Look, is. This is all okay. I don't care where you run. Light one and then go run, and it's great. Yeah. It makes you not. Can feel you? The can pain. you run? Can you? That's what I was going to ask. Like, do you run farther? Well, I was feeling like shit this morning, and I would not have run. 
Like sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just run. But today, was and does it like, not? Shit. Does it not make your breathing harder? It doesn't like make this, you burn a little scratch. This is a well. This is a well-oiled machine for getting cannabis uh, THC in and out of it. So, like, look. I mean, listen to me. You can hear me. You know. It's like yeah, fair enough. <laughs> there's a reason I sound like I gargle gravel all the time. But actually, that's not it because. As we will have very shortly, my brother will be on the show and you will realize, oh, they all sound like that, which they do. Oh, really? He sounds like you too? Oh, yes. I have to admit, so the first time before I uh, before I actually met you and saw what you looked like, I just I had heard I had heard the pod you you and Matt used to do. And, um, you know, sometimes when you, you hear people, you don't know what they look like. You 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 either create an image in your head or. Or in some case, like a lot of things, what I'll do is I'll pick like a famous person in that person's face. Do you want to know? Do you want to know who, who your your face used to be before I know what you look who, like? Who was it? Who was it? Sam Waterston from Law and Order. I I totally see that. I wow. I've never got I never gotten that because that I don't look like that. But it I absolutely have the mean the mean. Can you can you um, can you just like right now yell at me like I'm a judge who's just put a dangerous criminal back on the streets? You're putting everybody in New York City in danger. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. The, 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 you need you can monetize this somehow. I don't know how. I but do. Cameos. I, I, you could do fake cameos. <laughs> you could sell. You could. You you're like you don't want to commit fraud, so you should put yourself out there as someone. What's his name? Is it Waterstone? Or what did I say? It's Waterstone, right? Sam Waterstone. I think it's Waterson. Waterson. Bill okay. Waterstone is Calvin and Hobbes. Yes, you're right. So anyway, you should put yourself out there as someone who does not look like Sam Waterstone, but sounds like him. And I don't think I sound cameos. like him. I don't think I sound like him necessarily. I think I have the same sort of timber. There's one voice I can do really well. I think I can. Uh, that is a nice match to Jeff Passan's Elmo. Oh, okay. Because it is Grover. That is pretty good. This is the monster that at the end of the Monsters of Socks yeah. podcast. And with that, we should probably be going. <laughs> I'm not going to give you too much credit for that because I do think... Grover is the easiest Destiny Street character to emulate. I will not um, disagree this is... with that, but I will just make this one point. Other people have a hard time being this gravelly for so long. Brian does not have this problem. That is true. That is true. When I when I do try to do it, like I'm sure that you know the children's classic book, The Monster at the end of this book. Um when I do try to do that, if I'm reading with my kids, it's it's really hard to keep that voice consistent. It's really really hard. It's sort of it's my painful. friend has a as a two year old, and we were playing disc golf, and he brings the two year old disc golfing. Like they just he'll throw his disc like two feet, and I was like, oh, does he like Grover? I was like, yeah. So I did the voice, and the kid was looking at me like, that's him, but it's not. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't get on this. The, the doing impressions on the pod is real. that's pot of Lansdowne territory, though. We should uh, they'll get upset. Um, although I guess as long as we're not doing Trumps, um, yeah, which I think I have a 
Yeah, I have a theory that there's a generational thing about that. I don't know. I, I think um, you're absolutely you know, those right. They're yeah, liberal like use I, of Trump memes, and the, it. Uh, I, I am actually learned from them to enjoy it, but I did not until they sort of deploy it really well. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's totally generational. It's that they didn't. They're not as scarred by him as we are. Because they didn't have as much time in the pre-Trump America, I think. Well, That's and I think theory. that we probably did the same thing with George W. Bush. I remember happily <clears throat> using as, as much as like he sucked to us right. and to everybody, right. frankly, uh, being a little bit more flippant than I ended up with Trump. The difference being that like, and Pod on Lanzo guys have correctly identified this and this is why part of why he's so popular is trump is legitimately hilarious when he's trying he is and this this really this this really does worry me that like 50 years from now people who are people who are born 50 years from now are gonna look back at the trump era and and that's that the takeaway is going to be. I mean, who knows where the, who knows what state the country's in at that point, and maybe that will dictate a lot about this. But their takeaway is going to be, this is fucking hilarious. Everything that guy did was hilarious because yeah, if you take away the fascism, it is. Like I, I get that, I see that, and I really do worry about historically um, how much the fact that everything was so goddamn hilarious is going to is going to color how the actual era was is perceived. Well, they, 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 people become emblematic of eras. You talk about history, you talk about like European history, you talk about Roman history. If there was one guy who was really witty, but sucked, what you remember as well, lots of people suck, but that guy was funny. Right. Well, all right, this is too dark. It is too dark. And uh, Alex Verdugo just got another hit. <laughs> two for two as on the I said, day. trade validated. All right, coming up, a conversation with my brother who just ran the Boston Marathon. Welcome back. We have a special guest. This man ran the Boston Marathon for the first time this year. His name is Grant. Is that Joanier? How do you pronounce that? How do you? How do you join her with an I? Yeah. Join her. So good. I've wanted to know how to pronounce it because it's also my last name because you are my brother. Yes. Grant Joyner, welcome to the Monsters of Socks. Thank you for uh for having me. Excited to uh to talk some Boston, all things all things Boston, I suppose. For those who who don't know, uh Grant lives on Martha's Vineyard in West Hisbury, the greatest town in the world and ran his first ever marathon, the Boston marathon. And I will get to questions from Dan who had to leave, but you ran it in three hours, 11 minutes. And my first question is why, why did you run so fast? Who was chasing you? Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of people chasing me out there. Um, you know, I came in with, with a goal. This was my first marathon. It's my first Boston, obviously. Um, and I was running it for charity. So I either have to qualify for Boston um, by running a specific time for your age group, or you can go through charitable entry. So I worked through the uh, Doug Flutie 
Junior Autism Foundation. That was a great experience. But my goal was to try to qualify for Boston so that um, I could run it again in, in subsequent years. And I came just short of that. But that was why I was running, trying to run so fast. Um, but, uh, you know, my legs just uh, couldn't keep up. But, um, yeah, I'm happy with the time and, and happy with every, how everything went. But I uh, wish I could have run just a little bit faster. So what was your average minute pace per mile? Uh, so that was that was right at about 720 a mile. Um, is what what it averaged out to. I don't think I ran a single mile that was 720. I had I had many that were uh, faster and many that were slower and none at that that pace. But that's where it landed out at. So this morning I set a goal to run halfway across the old Tappan Zee Bridge and back, which is 3.6 miles. Now I did that, and I didn't have a time goal. I did 13 minute miles, but I accomplished my goal, and you didn't accomplish yours. So I think you might have some work to do. Yeah. Can't argue with that. Um, that's just, that's just facts. Solid logic. Uh, Dan has, uh, the, Dan has some questions. The first question is one, did you win? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I won, um, in the context of, uh, I finished the race. Uh, that was definitely like goal number one. So I, I will take that as a victory when I, when I, when I got to the Sitco sign, that's sort of like the, the one mile from here mark and everybody says that that's like the moment that they really kind of like it washes over them that you're actually going to finish. So I did, I did feel like a winner um, when I crossed the sign and then when I crossed the finish line, but uh, no, I did not win. I, I, I finished uh, many thousands of places behind other people. So I'm not, I'm familiar with the general route, but how much of it, you said the last miles of Cisco sign, how much of it, is in Boston. Like how many of those miles would you say are identifiably in Boston? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. And honestly, I really wasn't all that familiar with the course either up until I started to like decide I want to do this and not that many. I mean, it, you know, you're really in, you know, Boston sort of proper for maybe the last three, four miles. But everything outside of that is is really suburbs. And it's a lot of areas that I, I have never been or spent a ton of time in. I've probably driven through them or maybe played sports in them. But it was a really interesting look for me at, at places that, you know, I, I'm familiar with because I grew up in Massachusetts and played sports and did all of this. But can't say I spent a, a bunch of time in Hopkinton or, or some of these other areas, even Newton, where the hills are. Um, so it's not really you're not really in the city till the very, very end. Um, so it's a unique marathon. It's, it's unique in the sense that most marathons are, um, you know, there's some type of loop, right? So you're, you're, you're running in a circle or you're running a track. Um, this is called point to point because you're basically starting at one point and you're ending at another. And that's what makes Boston totally different than basically any of the other big marathons, any of the other world majors. So really unique and, and very cool, uh, cool experience. I will go to Dan's second question now, which was nipple bleeding. So that sucks, huh? Yeah, you know, I I had run, I'd never run a marathon, but I'd run a, a few halves before this, and uh, that I experienced that in, in spades in those, but I uh, I learned from those mistakes. So uh, copious amounts of um, body glide and, and Vaseline, and I was I was I was great this time, even and even in some some poor weather and a soaking uh, a soaking singlet, I I, uh, I was able to avoid it this time. I wanted to ask you about the weather because. It strikes me that cooler conditions are probably preferable, but soaking conditions are not. What what was the weather's impact on it? 
Yeah. So, I mean, if it was, it was probably like mid fifties all day and on and off rain, uh, mid fifties is like an ideal running temperature, but you're right. Um, you know, a little bit of rain is, is fine. A lot of rain is, is less so. So for me specifically, there's different waves that the race goes in. There's four different waves. Um, and I was in the last wave. So for, it was raining when I was like heading up to the start line. And then we didn't really have much rain until maybe around mile eight or nine and it downpoured for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes. And so um, I was soaked. Um, so definitely helped me keep my body temperature down. My heart rate was pretty good the whole race. My, my breathing was good. Um, but my shoes and my whole, everything was soaked. So it just felt heavy. You know, it's just like lifting and, and just doing the legs. Uh, just felt heavy. So that part is not great. But, I, you know, a lot of people ran really great times, but um, there was a little bit of a headwind. That's one of the, the issues of the point-to-point race um, because you're not doing a loop. You, you're going to have uh, – you could potentially have headwind the whole course. So there wasn't a ton of wind, but it definitely was a headwind for basically the entire race, um, which was also a little bit uh, challenging. How much time do you think the headwind changed it for you – specifically i i would say the headwind was probably the least even with the headwind it wasn't enough to really like necessarily impact the time into the same kind of thing with the temperature a little bit of headwind actually can cool me off and and i prefer it to maybe a little bit of a downwind um a tailwind but uh i mean the biggest thing was was just the wet shoes i mean my, my shoes were soaked my socks were soaked for basically the last 16 miles of the race and that had a noticeable impact just on, on sort of tiring my legs out. Because, again, cardio-wise felt great. Um, heart rate was was under control. Shoes felt heavy. Um, and, and towards the later part of the race, I thought I was running faster than I was because it just felt like I was. But, you know, my legs just weren't turning over the way that I wanted them to. How many pairs of socks do you wear? <laughs> For this race, I just, just, you know, just the one wool socks. Don't wear cotton socks in the rain. Um, so smart wool socks. And uh, I did contemplate like stashing a pair of socks like halfway through the course to uh, to switch them out. But um, I didn't do that. I don't know how much it would have helped because the course was so wet that even if I changed out the socks, I think I would have they would have been wet immediately. So just that just that one. Uh, Dan's final question is, what's the what was the most fun part of the course to run? I mean, for me, the, the most fun part of the course was absolutely um, like coming in that that last mile. Basically, once you hit Fenway, you hit that Sitco sign and the, the course was crowded throughout. I mean, basically for the entire 26.2 miles, there was people everywhere um, at suburbs all the way. To, but it's a different level when you get into Boston. So that last mile. I knew I wasn't going to hit my goal time. I knew I wasn't going to going to run, you know, exactly what I was. So I really just kind of like shifted down a gear and just really soaked in because that was, you know, that's the part of the course that I am familiar with, right? I, that part of Boston, I do know, and I've spent time in and really got to like enjoy it. Um, gave out a ton of high fives throughout the race, but especially in that last mile. Um, and that was just kind of like any pain that I was feeling up until that point sort of washed away. And it was coming to the realization that I was, I was going to do it and I was going to finish. Um, cause there were definitely parts in the middle of the race where I was starting to question whether, whether I was going to be able to finish without, you know, stopping or taking a break. So I was, I was happy that I was able to run the whole thing. And, um, that last mile was, was extra special. Did you hit the wall, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I, I hit the. 
I hit the Newton Hills and, and Heartbreak Hill, which is like famous. And um, yeah, that's a very real thing. I, you know, when I was doing my course study, I guess you would call it, you know, you look at the profile of this course, it is a net downhill, meaning that it starts higher than it finishes. And you are, are effectively, you know, you're, you're, you're going downhill, but you have this one section of hills in Newton for about four to five miles. They don't look really daunting on paper. And if you were to just like walk up them, they don't, they don't seem that bad. It's just where they come in the race. Everybody says that right around mile 20 is where you're starting to hit that wall and heartbreak hills right about mile 21. So I definitely hit it on heartbreak hill. I was running really, really slow. Um, but then thankfully, once you get done with that, you, you know, it's, it's downhill from there. And, um, I wasn't able to really like pick it up to the pace that I was hitting before the hills, but that was that was definitely the most daunting part of the course, Heartbreak Hill. It's 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 uh it's aptly named. And you ran it three days ago. How are you feeling now? I feel so much better today than I did the last couple. I'll tell you that. Um, I I've, yeah, I strangely enough, when I got done with the race on Monday, I was I was hurting, but it was okay. I, I thought I would be really hungry, but I think my body was just in shock, and I was not. I was not very hungry at all. Um, later that day, I sort of forced some food down. But I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is, along with the sore legs, is I just I have like the, the biggest appetite that I've ever had. It doesn't it feels like no matter how much food I'm eating, I'm I'm still hungry. So I feel a lot better. I haven't run since Monday, but I think I might I might go for like a short run this afternoon just to see if uh, I get some some blood flow in the legs. But um, all things considered, happy with it. To get out of it injury free was probably you know, obviously finishing and having my goal times, but to come away injury free is a big one. Uh, Cause anytime you're running that, that kind of, anytime you run over two hours, you're really, you're putting yourself at, at a pretty serious injury risk. Um, and so to escape without injury, at least knock on what I hope I did. Um, I, I feel really good about that. And is high and bloom the savior of the antichrist? <laughs> uh yeah, I'd say somewhere somewhere in between. I don't, I don't, you know, it's like he's a fall guy, I guess. But um, you know, I I I have some optimism. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying this season. Uh, you know, I'm enjoying watching this team and having something a little bit different. You know, you can obviously second guess a lot of stuff that was done in the past, but um, we are where we are, and you know, we've been spoiled as, as Boston sports fans. So um, you know, it's it's we gotta we gotta take you know, some, some, maybe some bad with the good. That may not, not only have we been spoiled, we are currently spoiled yes. right now. Yeah, the, Red Sox, right. the Red Sox and the Patriots are not spoiling us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But uh, I mean, the Bruins had a tough loss last night, but um, you know, uh, the, the season that they've had and the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, yes, we've been spoiled. We continue to be spoiled. Um that's probably my my biggest gripe as a Boston sports fan is is or New England sports fan is that like how much complaining there is for the amount of success that we've had. But I guess it just you know it's good to have high expectations, and that's that's what it is. Um, but uh, certainly uh, high expectations this season, I think, uh, for Celtics and Bruins, and we'll see what happens with the with the Sox and Pats. Yeah, I don't get the complaining at all but also go fuck yourself yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh well this is great we want i just wanted to have you on because i was writing the recap story i told you this that i was gonna rate you were you were 
when you ended up starting, you were on a really nice collision course with what would have been the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And the rain delays screwed that. But I wonder if the rain delays, they were so big that so many people left. I wonder if a bunch of people just wandered over to the course because, you know, it's right there. Yeah. Which is, the, which is the idea. I mean, they wandered off to the course when the game would have been ending. So Right. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that part of the course was, was packed, you know, and I think it probably always is, is relatively packed, but I'm sure that played a role in it. And, and I was, you know, I was looking forward to that for a lot of different reasons, you know, from where it comes in the course for you to know that, you know, you're, you're really close, but just to like see that crowd. I mean, Patriots day is obviously such a unique, like Boston thing. And this was the 10 year anniversary of, of the marathon bombing. So I think this year was, was particularly, um impactful emotional uh that whole the whole red sox team from from that year was back um for like a ceremony that they did on saturday and you know i was walking by and i i saw all of them and so um yeah that was it was it was special around that part i think there's probably more fans out there because of the rain um and then you know that that part was always going to be special for me, but uh, to have it be you know the ten year anniversary of obviously everything happened, to have it be Patriots, they had all of that stuff. Um, for me, it was just a, a special moment, and I'm you know I'm glad it's done. You know, it's, it's it's anytime you're 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 running a marathon, I'm sure you know some people listen to this. I I was always the person that said I would I would never run a marathon. I always thought people who run marathons are crazy, and I still think that they're they're crazy, and I think I'm crazy for doing it. Um, but it was just a lot of training and a lot of, you know, basically support from, from people around me. Um, and I'm, you know, as much as I'm You're welcome. Ha- You're welcome. Ha- yeah, exactly. As much as I'm happy, happy that I did it. I'm, I'm, I'm also happy that it's done. And, and, you know, this is, a, this is the longest break I've taken from running in a while. And, um, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great to, to have a little rest. Final question. Yes. 420 West Hillsborough. You going to the Federal? You gonna hit the Federal yeah. today? I'm 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 pretty I'm 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 uh I'm pretty well locked and loaded. Um but you know it's a great it's it's you know it's I can reach it with my arm over here uh throw a stone uh throw a stone at it. So yes, it's uh it's nice to have you know Massachusetts and Martha's Vineyard to come around to to things that things that have been known for a while, but um to to holiday, so we'll celebrate accordingly. All right. I think that's it. And I think the last thing we got to say is the traditional Martha's Vineyard sign off. Fuck Nantucket. That's right. Nantucket sucks. Fuck Nantucket. That's right. All right. That's been Monsters of Socks. Week three, Boston Marathon. We have a special guest for next week. Please tune in. Talk to you later. <laughs>